After having the background, now we turn to our character studies dash. The historical books give some character studies for these chapters, so I will not rehash that, though mention selected situations, and make application for our lives. A. Solomon. I previously talked about Solomon's administrative wisdom, which spilled over into some other areas of his life. I also talked about how his wisdom didn't necessarily impact his personal life, or at least as much as it should have, and decisions. But his rule was blessed, in part due to his request for wisdom from God, and because of God's faithfulness to the Davidic covenant. We are only given snippets of his rule, his wisdom, and his fame in the ancient world and the historical books. There is one main topic with three applications. 1. Solomon had no prophet who gave him counsel. Though God spoke to Solomon on a few occasions, there is no record of him having a prophetic voice or prophet that spoke, giving him God's direction. Saul had Samuel. David had Nathan. But when it comes to Solomon, again there is no record that he had the influence, or input of a prophet. This may have been a factor in the downfall of his own and the kingdom after his death. Applications, this is a reminder for us of. a. The importance of truth. The prophets spoke God's truth to the leaders, and others, but I am focusing on the kings right now. Perhaps Solomon in his wisdom, thought he didn't need God's word from an external source? We don't know. We are not told why Solomon didn't have this influence, nor a prophet in his court. But today we have God's full, revealed, and complete word. There is no new revelation to be added to it. We need God's word in our lives, families, ministries, businesses, and in schools. The Bible is the objective, external truth of God. It is pure, undefiled, sufficient and efficient for life and practice. We also need the persons of truth, borrowing from the definition of Trinity, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said He was truth in John 14:6. He said the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, in John 14:17, 15:26, Jesus is the embodiment of truth and what it looks like to live a life of grace and truth. The Holy Spirit guides us in understanding and applying God's truth in our life. In other words, we need God and we need God's Word. Apart from these, we will never grow, mature, be able to face difficulty, temptation and live a life that honors Him. Grow in your relationship with the Lord through His Word, prayer and loving obedience. b. The importance of accountability. Because there was no prophet that gave counsel to Solomon, there was no prophet that kept him accountable for the foolish things he began to do, continued to do, and got caught up in doing. Beware compromise. It happens one step at a time, and a slow process rather than a drastic change. This is one reason we need accountability. No matter how much wisdom, wealth, education, or power you have, or don't have, you and I need to be accountable to one another in the church. This doesn't mean we are nosy or want to know each other's business. This means we need to have at least one person whom we can confide in personally. While we should be accountable to our spouse, and have someone in our lives of the same gender, whom we can share our struggles, get counsel, and be accountable. I know there are limitations. We must first remember we are accountable to God. If we have an accountability partner, we need to be open and honest, and not hide our flaws. We need someone who loves us enough to ask tough questions, and someone whom we love enough to tell the truth. It's hard. Ask God to provide someone who will help you. This is part of discipleship and mentoring. C. The importance of not depending on ourselves. It is possible Solomon though he didn't need an external prophetic voice for lack of better wording, because God gave him the wisdom he possessed. But there is a danger with this. Because God gives us a gift, whether a natural talent or spiritual gift, we tend to forget the giver and depend on the gift. We forget how much we need him. We depend on ourselves, 
and that which He has given to us, rather than Him. In fact, one reason God brings problems into our lives, is so we will depend on Him. Perhaps one reason why God brought difficulties to Solomon's rule towards the end, was to try and drive him back to God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 8 10a, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which occurred in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from so great a danger of death, and will rescue us, He on whom we have set our hope. No matter how gifted you are, depend on God. He gave you those gifts. He empowers you to use those gifts. He uses those gifts for His purpose. He will reward you for using those gifts He has given, empowered by Him. That is. Amazing grace. Be Jeroboam. Jeroboam, covered on p. 191-193 in the book, was stubborn man. Holdcroft notes on page 193 that Jeroboam was, a man motivated by human ambition and the appeal to expediency. He was also what we call, a pragmatist. What is pragmatism? While there are a few definitions, as a philosophy, it is when someone does something to achieve a practical result that is desired, apart from what is necessarily right, true, or just. Pragmatism is more concerned with the desired outcome, than whether something is right. A pragmatic person, or pragmatist, is one who does things to suit his or her own purposes because of their desired results. This was Jeroboam. Applications. Today, we may think of politicians. He or she will say one thing to one group, and then say the opposite to another group. Why? Their desired results are votes. But this can be done in the church. We can have the whatever works mindset, and compromise in reaching others for Christ, or creating programs. Here's a principle, just because something works, doesn't mean it's blessed by God. There are many churches that thousands attend, but they are led by false and heretical teachers. The church needs to get away from the mindset that believes success is measured by the number of people who attend a church, or church service. While numbers can be an indicator of how healthy a church is, there are other factors that must be considered. What those are is another study. But we need to be cautious about this. We too, as individuals, need to have biblical standards, biblical guidelines, and a biblical worldview, or we will easily fall into the pragmatic mindset Jeroboam had, and most of the world has today. Just because something works or is successful by our measures or standards, does not mean that it glorifies God and pleases Him, nor does it mean He blessed it. Don't forget, Satan can make things successful as well. Consider the many false religions and cults that multiple millions of people follow. They are deceived and think they follow God, but are following the enemy, ensnared by Him. See Omri. King Omri is found in 1 Kings 16, and on page 201-202 in the book. He did a lot of good politically for the nation of Israel, and a lot of evil spiritually for them. The book states he helped Israel become stable by modifying the laws. He also conquered Moab. The Moabite stone, also known as the Mesh Steely, Steely, large stone, dated to about 830 BC, on lines 4 to 7 states Omri humbled Moab for many years or days. This is extra biblical evidence of the historicity and reliability of the Bible. However, in 2 Kings 3 5, the king of Moab stopped paying tribute under Ahab. This occurred after Omri, which showed his impact, in Israel and other places. If you want to look into this more, https colon slash slash biblehistory.com slash resource slash the Moabite stone. However, despite his political achievements for his nation, the Bible states he, sinned more than all those before him. 1625, that is quite a statement. 
How would you like to live under the rule of someone who did more evil than your predecessors? Application Just because a nation appears to be prosperous or victorious, it can be spiritually evil. This can go for a country, state, county, city, town, family, or person. Just because there is prosperity within finances, government, military, though it is important to have a strong military, or anything within a culture, if it is spiritually evil, by rejecting God, His Word, His morals and ethics and the Gospel, it is evil and will be judged. This brings me to an additional warning, connected to this. There are supposed Bible teachers, or pastors who say the value, worth, or legitimacy of your spiritual walk with Jesus is measured by how much money, cars, items and material things you own. They are teaching a lie. Yes, God blesses. Yes, some Christians are rich by every standard. But that does not mean God will make every Christian rich, and that your faith is measured by your material possessions. That is a false gospel, and a false measure of spiritual maturity. Next. D. Ahab. Like above, and connected to Omri's success is a similar situation with King Ahab. For those who have studied the Old Testament, and the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, King Ahab is a well-known personality. His story is told in 1 Kings 16-22, which is a large portion, and tells us quite a bit about him, his rule, and his sin. Despite that, and for God's own purposes, God gave Ahab victories in battle. Ahab was married to the wicked queen Jezebel. Even today, people use her name negatively. I do not know of any women named Jezebel. She was evil. But there is one aspect of Ahab's life I want to highlight, and it is not a good one, found in 1 Kings 21. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, but he told Ahab, no. Ahab pouted, and Jezebel stepped in and sent letters to the elders of the city, lying about him, and had him stoned to death, under the guise that Ahab ordered it to be so. After Naboth's death, Ahab took the vineyard for himself. Though he did humble himself, verses 27, there is something we see in him that is very prevalent today. I may make some of you uncomfortable or angry, but this is the truth and you need to be cautious of these things. Application, Ahab had an entitlement mentality and a victim mentality. As the king, he felt entitled to Naboth's vineyard, first demanding it and if that didn't work, he gave the option to purchase it. But when Naboth said no, what was Ahab's response? Ahab was angry, sullen, laid down, and turned his face towards the wall and didn't eat, see verses 4-6. He pouted. He was like a little boy who wanted to play with someone's toy, was denied, and pouted in the corner. This was his victim mentality. The sense of victimhood and entitlement go together, and we see the same thing today. There is a push to elevate certain groups as victims. You can fill in the blank with a number of criteria. Within this same push, is the idea they are owed something above and beyond, that others must pay, accept, or bow to, whether free healthcare, free education, acceptance for their sinful lifestyle, etc. The basis for this is Marxism and socialism. Marx was a lazy, selfish man. He never worked a day in his life and mooched off of others. He leached off of his family, his wife, her family, his friends and more. He hated Christianity, God, and the family order. His economic philosophy is based on the oppressors and the oppressed, and the oppressed must rise up and change the system in order to bring equality to all. It is a false and deadly view that has led to multiple millions of deaths in many countries. Marxism doesn't work. His views were not accepted when he was alive, but are widely pushed today, because those in power see how beneficial it is to them. If you can create a society of victims, then you can a society of slaves. This is all based on victimhood and entitlement, as seen in Ahab's attitudes and actions in 1 Kings 21. E. Elijah. During Ahab's rule, 
a prophet named Elijah jumps onto the scene around 870 BC. His name means, My God is Yah. His life and ministry are found in 1 Kings 17 to 2 Kings 2. The prophet Elijah understood that the nation of Israel had a mission to preserve its religious system, the worship of the one true God, in a pure form without any mixture with idol worship. Elijah was strongly opposed to the worship of pagan gods such as Baal and Asherah. This uncompromising stand often endangered his life by bringing him into conflict with those in positions of power, especially Queen Jezebel and her followers. Elijah's impact on the prophetic movement among the Hebrew people was extensive. He stands as the transitional figure between Samuel, the advisor and anointer of kings, and the later writing prophets. Like the prophets who followed him, Elijah emphasized Israel's responsibility for total commitment to their God and the covenant responsibilities that God and His people had sworn to each other. 1. He did not die, but was carried into heaven in 2 Kings 2, and Elisha took his place. Elijah and Elisha were the only two prophets to do miracles. The other prophets rarely, if at all, had miracles connected to them. Why? As mentioned, God was doing something new, and miracles were a large part of this, confirming He and His message were from God. Again, Elijah officially began the office of the prophet in Israel. He, with every other prophet, called Israel or Judah back to God through repentance, back to the covenant and back to faithfulness in the Lord who saved them. They reminded the nation of who God was, what He did, and their covenant commitment to Him. On the next page is a picture of a statue that stands today on Mount Carmel in Israel, on the western side by the Mediterranean Sea, near the area where 1 Kings 18 took place. I mentioned Elijah previously and his victory over the false prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, as one of my favorite accounts, with some applications. But there is something that happened to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 that is also important. What? Elijah's depression. Sadly, only some pastors, or Bible teachers address this. Others mention it in passing, or sadly, dismiss this altogether. Depression is real. Christians can suffer from it. I know. I speak from experience. While it is not as serious for me as it is with others, this is something I struggle with. What is depression? One dictionary definition is. A mood disorder characterized by persistent sadness or inability to experience pleasure combined with other symptoms including poor concentration, indecisiveness, sleep problems, changes in appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. From https colon slash 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 depression. This goes beyond discouragement. It is discouragement, mixed with defeat, and taken to the next level. It is both a physical and emotional condition. Elijah was not the only one in the Bible, or Christian history to struggle with this. King David, see Psalm 42, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and others battled this as well. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon faced depression often, even debilitating him at times. So, this is not a small matter, and many Christian moms, dads, youth, pastors, worship leaders, and more who face the dark night of the soul often. So, what do we do? First, there is clinical depression, which has biological factors connected to it. This involves a chemical imbalance, where medication is needed, with counseling. It can take a long time for someone clinically depressed to move beyond their struggles. Second, there is the depression Elijah faced, and many face today, within the church. This is connected to our emotions, circumstances, mental perspective and more. Third, in order to find help and the change we seek, we need to admit we have a problem. If we do not do this, then we will never find help. After we admit we need help, what are some things we can do, or things we can encourage others to do, to climb out of the pit? 
While this is not intended to be exhaustive, there are five principles in 1 Kings 19 that helped Elijah and that can help us. We find Elijah. 1. Needed to rest. Elijah had a literal mountaintop experience, in 1 Kings 18, and that is often when difficulties hit us, physical or emotional. Elijah was exhausted. He ran and ran and when he stopped, he asked to die, 1 Kings 19 3-4. He was fearful, lost hope, and exhausted. What happened next? He went to sleep, as verse 5 states. He needed rest. Our bodies are amazing and wonderfully made. But we must rest. We have to take time away from the business and craziness of life, ministry, work, school, toil, raising kids, and more. I know it's hard. I haven't had a vacation in years, so I know how difficult this is. But we still need to cease from normal activities, and do something we enjoy, that relaxes us, and that refreshes us. That will be different for everyone. For some, reading a book is restful. For others, watching a movie, camping, fishing, surfing, or a hike, run, or a walk outside can be refreshing. Some enjoy being around others, and some want to be alone. It depends on your personality and how God made you. 2. Needed to eat. In verses 5-6, an angel provided Elijah with food. Elijah had expended a lot of energy on Mount Carmel and then running. He needed nourishment. God made our bodies and He knows what we need physically. Our bodies can only do so much without food. Yes, some fast, and that is good. But we must eat, and eat healthy by the way. I'm not talking about junk food. We need to eat, and sometimes what we eat can impact our emotional state. Most have their comfort food. While this has its place, we need to eat food that will nourish our bodies. Elijah needed that and we do too. I include exercise as part of this too. 3. Needed comfort. After a time of rest, eating, drinking, and resting more, Elijah left and journeyed forty days and nights and went to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai. Wow! This is where God gave the Ten Commandments and more to Israel. Why did He go there? He tells us in His words in verses 9-10. The northern kingdom of Israel had abandoned God, and His covenant, given at Mount Horeb Sinai. Yes, Elijah felt sorry for himself, and this is common among those who struggle with defeat, discouragement, and depression. Again, I speak from experience. What did God do? Did He rebuke or scold His prophet? No. Did God tell him to have more faith? No. God asked a question, What are you doing here Elijah? Verses 9, 13, He wanted Elijah to think about what he was doing, and his motivation for being there. God also showed His amazing power, but it was in a gentle whisper or breeze blowing that led Elijah, literally, out of the cave. Elijah needed comfort. He didn't need a lecture. He didn't need someone to quote Bible verses to him. He didn't need someone to tell him that all things work together. There is a time for each of those, but in his sorrow, defeat, fear, sadness, self-doubt, and self-pity, he needed to be comforted. It is here God reminds Elijah he is not alone, but their 7,000 in Israel remained faithful, verses 18. If you, are feeling defeated or depressed, I pray the Lord will comfort you and bring others to comfort you. If you know someone who needs comfort, which includes listening, providing a shoulder to cry on, or bringing him slash her out to a place they enjoy, then do it when you can. May the God of all comfort, comfort you, and help you to comfort others with the comfort He has given to you, 2 Corinthians 1 3-4. 4. Needed a friend. Elijah needed a close friend, whom would be Elisha. Elijah was to anoint Elisha to be the next prophet, after him. 
Elisha would not only be Elijah's disciple and replacement, but would serve him and be there for him, verses 21. Being isolated is very dangerous when it comes to being depressed. The enemy loves it when Christians are alone. Not only does it lend to easier temptation, but can increase depression. We cannot dismiss the importance of the body of Christ, particularly in these situations. God has provided others, because we need others. If you are depressed, ask God to provide someone for you to talk with. You also, as hard as it is, need to make the effort to connect with someone, preferably whom you already know. Tell him or her about your struggle and ask for prayer, a shoulder to cry on and a listening ear. Or again, if know someone who is depressed, and you are in a healthy state spiritually and emotionally, go to that person and offer to be that friend. We need each other. 5. Needed a mission. Last, Elijah needed to look beyond himself, and beyond the immediate circumstances. Depression often occurs when we are looking at ourselves more than we should, looking at difficult circumstances we cannot control, and we forget there is more to life than the here and now. God knew this. God gave Elijah a mission. He told him to anoint the next king over Israel, and Elisha, verses 15-16. If you are struggling, as lovingly as I can say, look beyond yourself to what God has gifted you to do and wants you to do. What that is, is between you and Him. Look to the direction He has you on, whether it is being a wife, mother, husband, father, Bible teacher, pastor, worship leader, youth leader, nurse, businessman slash woman, dentist, manager, friend, or whatever it is. After you have refreshed and recharged, ask God for the next step in the mission He has for you in your life, and encourage that in others' lives too. For those whom it may be helpful, I did a message on this when I pastored a church. It's based on Psalm 42 and called, Defeating Depression. Here is the link. I want to end on a good note with. F. Jehoshaphat. He ascended the throne in 1 Kings 15:24. There are snippets about him through 2 Kings 8. As the book notes, he was one of the eight good kings of Judah and one of the four reformers, p. 212. While you can read a summary of some of the wonderful things he did on pages 213 and 214, I want to look at one principle in his life and rule. He did made changes necessary for the people in the kingdom to focus on God. He was an agent of light. While we are called to shine the light of Christ in our dark world, Philippians 2 15, 1 John 1 7, Jehoshaphat shone the light of God in his world, and made the changes that reflected it. Is it easy to change? No. Asa, his father the king, was a good king overall and a godly influence on him. But, for whatever reason, Asa changed his behavior towards the end of his life. Jehoshaphat was a spiritual and military leader, like David in many ways and was a great change agent in his day. This led the kingdom of Judah to be honored among the world again. Applications, perhaps the church you attend is in decline, or needs to change to go deeper into God's Word and His direction. With God's help, it can change. Pray God will rise up a person or group, who will know what God wants, and change what is needed. This also means the church must be willing to change and follow God's lead. It is sad when there are only some people are willing to change. If this is the case where you go, again, pray God will raise up those who will make good and godly changes, but also to accept those changes when they take place. These principles are true for a business, ministry, family, and one's own personal life. Example, if you own a company that the Lord wants you to lead, but it's declining. Pray. Ask Him what changes need to be made. Is there sin in the camp? Remember I. Are there practices that need to be changed? Is there a personnel problem, where the people are not representing God or the company in an appropriate manner? Is it a problem with leadership, or your leadership? 
If you are a manager or assistant manager, are you treating the people the way God tells you to treat them, by applying Leviticus 25:43, Ephesians 6:9, and Colossians 4:1? This is one example of how God can intervene, but we need to take responsibility for our decisions, attitudes and actions. Again, this goes for a family or our own lives too. Stop making excuses and do what God says. Jehoshaphat made the changes in the nation to get the people focused on God and His Word. He had individuals who taught people God's Word. The ultimate change occurs when a godly leader, empowered by God's Spirit, proclaims and explains God's Word to God's people, who want to live for God. How can we be those change agents today? Dash. 1. Youngblood, R. F. Bruce, F. F. and Harrison, R. K. Thomas Nelson Publishers, Eds. 1995. In Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Nashville, Tennessee, Thomas Nelson Incorporated.